5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for the privilege to worship you, the, the great and awesome God. We uh, thank you for your word. Pray that uh, you give uh, Mark uh, courage and uh, just to proclaim your truth this morning. Pray that your, your truth alone would be, would be uh, preached this morning. Pray that you would just equip us for your service and to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Good to see everyone here. We're able to worship together and give God the glory. So last week we started in the book of Titus. We looked at uh, those first four verses and uh, we saw that the hallmark of good preaching and of good theology, which theology is just a study of God, so if we're studying God in any way, we are theologians, that good preaching and good theology is centered upon God, not upon us. It's centered upon the truth of the gospel message, that salvation from our debt of sin before God and eternal life in the presence of God are found only through His Son, Jesus Christ. So good preaching and good theology then naturally then point us to the goodness of God. For God always does, and He always gives what He promises. He has promised eternal life through His Son, and so we who believe then have confidence that we will receive that eternal life because God is always faithful. So the hope, when He says the hope of eternal life, it's not, man, I I sure hope this happens, or ah, this might happen, or it might not happen. When we say, when the Bible talks of, of hope in this way, it is a confirmation, it's an expectation. God says, you will have eternal life, means we have eternal life. And so Paul's directions to Titus in organizing the churches, churches of Crete begins then with the appointing of qualified elders. And so the questions arise, well, who can be an elder? What are their responsibilities? Why are elders needed in, in churches? Well, before we get into Paul's answers for those questions, there are some what I would call important matters to address. The topic of leadership in the church can raise these questions. And as we saw last week, a preaching situation doesn't always allow for that kind of conversation. And so, should you desire to talk more about this, uh, we'd love to have you on Monday night, 6.30, in the, in the prayer room, in this room right over here, uh, where we discuss uh, Sunday morning's messages and how things went, and then continue in, in the study 
of, um, of Hebrews. Uh, if you're not able to make it on Monday nights, then text or email me, and I'd love to actually sit down with you face-to-face, one-on-one, and have this kind of conversation. Uh, but before, um, before we wrestle with this, I think we need to pray again. Uh, pray for me, pray for us, that we would hear the Word of God and uh, find joy in the midst of it. And so um, join me just for, for this time to give it over to our Lord once again. Father, I pray for your truth. I pray for your peace. I pray for a calmness and an understanding of who you are, but what you have called us to in obedience to you. God, may your spirit um, just fill this place, Father, with your truth and with your peace and with your confidence. Help us to let go of ourselves, not to have my truth, Father, come from my mouth, but let your truth come. And, um, and as always, Father, should any, anything be a not of you in any way, that it would stop right at the ears and not go to the heart, Father. We ask this in your name. Amen. So the first important matter has to do with the Bible as the foundation of our understanding, not only of the topic of church leadership, which is what we're going to discuss today, but all matters pertaining to life and faith. So that is, for the Christian, for the disciple of Christ, the Bible is God's central and inerrant revelation which teaches and equips us to know Him and live for Him. The Bible, as God's people, is our foundation for the understanding of everything. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so Scripture is given to us by God, And that scripture, this book right here, is profitable for teaching us, correcting us, training us for good works that God has had planned for us. And so the foundation of everything that we have, and our our foundation, especially specifically today, of our understanding of eldership in the church must be the Word of God. Otherwise, culture personal feelings, family traditions, whatever it may be, are in in danger of contradicting or leading us away from the revelation of God in His Word. That's why we preach through the Word of God verse by verse and word by word. It forces us to wrestle with God's Word and go, what is He really saying here? And so should we find that we disagree with His Word then the issue is not heard, but with our understanding or perhaps even our unwillingness to understand and submit to his word. We all have that whatever the situation may be and whatever the scripture may be. And so as we enter into this topic, we need to check our own hearts. Are we willing to humbly submit to God's will and desire as revealed to us in the Bible even if we should disagree, and are we willing to wrestle with Scripture itself, striving to understand it as God intended, not as we desire to read into it? So with Scripture as our foundation, then we can then wrestle with the second important issue, which is 
Can women be elders? In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, Paul actually gives a very similar list of elder qualifications as he does in Titus 1, the passage that Josh just read. And in this passage, directly before the passage in 1 Timothy, so 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11-15, through 15, Paul says this, Likewise also, that women should adorn themselves with respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. The great debate with this passage is whether this is cultural or this is the norm for churches to follow even today. And the answer is yes. Did you love that? Nice political answer, right? It's yes. The verses on attire and modesty speak to the cultural norms, but more specifically, what is proper, this is quote, what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works? So in other words, godliness and good works done for God are to be what we desire others to see, not the wearing of trendy clothes or hairstyles or the like. Does that, does that make sense? The godliness is the focus, not the appearance of trendiness. But then comes the quiet learning, submitting, and not teaching or having authority over man. That's, that's really the crux of what people struggle with, what we struggle with. So does this mean that a woman should never speak up, should never say a word at all in church? Well, absolutely not. There are a number of instances in Scripture and in my own life in which women lovingly corrected or called out sin, taught me the truth of God's Word. But is this cultural? This statement here cultural? I do not believe so. Because the very next verse actually gives a reason. Why does Paul not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man? The very next word is for or because, and this is a quote from verse 13, Adam was formed first and then Eve. So Paul calls back to the created order, the order in which God set before any culture ever existed, Adam was to sacrificially lead Eve, and Eve was to be a helpmate to Adam. And that 1 Timothy chapter 3 speaks on church leadership. That's the very next section where he gives the elder qualifications. Signifies that church elders are to be men like Adam, sacrificially leading and shepherding God's people. And God's people are to be a helpmate to the elders. So at Elm Creek Community Church and its elders, we hold to the biblical teaching that men and women are equally valuable, equally valuable, made in the image of God with gifts given by the Holy Spirit to serve and to edify the church and the body of God. But when it comes to the office of elder, only men are called by God in his word to hold that position. In that office. 
And so then this brings up the next important matter. Not all men are qualified to hold the position of elder. Just because you're a man and you're breathing does not mean you should be an elder. In my church that my dad, years ago, he had just begun serving. He found that there was one leader who never attended the leadership meetings. And when he asked as to why, he was told that the man actually never shows up to anything, including Sunday morning worship services. And my dad is flabbergasted. He says, then why was he made a leader in the church? And, and then they told him, well, the church thought that if they put him in a leadership role, that he would begin attending church more regularly. <sighs> okay, so needless to say, that is not a good way to choose your leaders, ever, ever. Paul gives clear qualifications, which is far from being an exhaustive list. And these qualifications, though high, do not mean that a man must be perfect or sinless, because that would be impossible. The only one then who could be an elder is Jesus Christ himself. Instead, these qualifications are evidence to everyone around them as to the, their obedience to and honor of God and his word. That is why the word elder is used I had someone in um, one of my past churches, he said, well, you know, we, they, they use the word deacon instead of elder, and they said, well, I don't like the word elder because not everybody's old enough. And it's like, it has nothing to do with age. It's not about physical maturity. We can, we can all know that we've met 20-year-olds who are more mature than 60-year-olds, right? So age is, is not why they're called elder. The, the word elder is used because it speaks of spiritual maturity. A spiritually mature elder does not bring disgrace and dishonor to God through their words and their actions. And then Paul uses the word overseer. He, he very naturally goes back and forth between elder and overseer or bishop, uh, some translations say, he uses those interchangeably, and to him, they're the same thing. Elder points to the spiritual maturity, while overseer points to the task of the office. And that task, which is the crux of this passage, of these five verses, verse 9 is the, the crux of it. It's the center of it. The task of an elder is to be God's steward. A steward is a person who manages another person's property or affairs. And in the case of elders, they steward both God's word and God's people. Verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now the root word here for hold firm, he must hold firm to the trusty word as taught the root word for that is fortress or refuge. And so a godly elder holds the trustworthy, reliable, and faithful word of God as a fortress or a refuge. Why? Because it is God's word which holds the hope of eternal life promised by God before the ages began. That's in his introduction to the letter, just a few verses earlier. 
God's word tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Romans 6.23. And in the words of Jesus himself, he says he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. That's John 14, verse 6. But God's word is also the source of our knowledge of truth, which accords with godliness. That's Titus 1.1. So how does God desire us to live and think and act and speak? How could we know what it means to live a life of godliness? Well, his word tells us. It tells us how we are called to live and act and speak. And so the task and the role of an elder is to make sure that the church is teaching and being taught this trustworthy word. Not their opinion, not their thoughts, not what culture says. My dad was a pastor and an elder, not what he thought. My dad is fallible, I am fallible. His word, God's word is infallible inerrant and trustworthy. Why is this so important for elders to hold this task? Why can't my truth be my truth and your truth be true your truth? Why can't we just respect the beautiful journey that each of us is on and be united in love? Maybe you've heard those kind of questions before. Well, the answer is because there is really only two paths of life one which leads to eternal life and the other that leads to eternal death. And this is where stewardship of God's people happens for an elder. A godly elder holds firm to the trustworthy word as taught in the Bible so that he might be able to give instruction and sound doctrine. Sound doctrine or sound teaching is sound because it is founded upon the trustworthy word of God. Are we seeing a pattern here? We hold to this because this is trustworthy, and we teach this because it is trustworthy. A godly elder is able to teach God's people as to what is right, not according, again, to their own desires and their feelings and their thoughts, not cultures, but according to what God has revealed as right, because it is God's word which reveals eternal life through Jesus Christ, not me not our constitution, not my feelings, not culture, not the NAB conference leadership, nor the association leadership, nor the regional leadership. It's the word of God which leads to eternal life. And so this is our foundation. Now that's the easy part of being an elder. (laughs) That's the easy part. The next part, not so much, because it is also the task of a godly elder to rebuke those who contradict sound teaching. They must be able to not only recognize unsound doctrines, but also expose it, refute it, and convince those believing it of its falseness. Why is this so important? Maybe you should start, why is this so difficult? Do, Do I need to explain why it's so difficult? Like, if, if you, if you, um, 
If somebody says something of you that is wrong and you want to correct them, but they truly believe it's right, that's hard. And it's hard to be corrected yourself. How much more so as an elder to correct a teacher within the church or an individual within the church or a Bible study leader within the church or a small group leader within the church or an elder within the church, which has happened, that needs to be corrected. It's hard, it's difficult, but it's so important because to contradict sound teaching and to believe false teaching does not lead to eternal life, it leads to eternal death. In other words, eternal souls are at stake. And this is why Titus 1, 10 through 16, which we'll look at next week, actually deals with the characteristics of false teachers and who they are. And so here's what God is telling us as it relates to the office of elder in the church. So those who aspire to be elders, listen very, very carefully. This is my general synopsis of what Paul is saying in these verses. Godly elders are spiritually mature men who are called to steward God's words and God's word and God's people. Their lives reflect a life which brings honor and glory to God. And then to go into the qual- some of the qualifications, they are a one-woman man, which means they're not polygamous. Okay, got that one. Raise and manage their children in godliness. They're not arrogant. They're not violent, quick-tempered, or greedy, but are hospitable to others, self-controlled, disciplined, and holy. They are to hold firm to God's reliable word so that they might teach sound, sound doctrine, biblical doctrine, which leads to eternal life, and rebuke those who teach and believe falsehood, which leads to eternal death. And then according to 1 Peter chapter 5, they will one day stand before Christ and be held accountable for those that they were called to shepherd. The church body is called to submit to, trust, and obey godly elders. This is in 1 Peter chapter 5. So that the service of those elders and the ministry of those elders to the body would be a joy to them. Because the whole church suffers if the ministry of an elder is a miserable experience. That does not mean elders are above correction. By far, they are held to a higher standard. The expectations and responsibilities of a godly elder are high, to say the least. It is right for someone to desire to be an elder in a church, but, but first you must consider, you must consider it. For it is not, it is not something, how do you say it? If you're an elder, who you are is exposed spiritually. As of today, Elm Creek has three elders who are striving to steward God's word and his people well. Uh, Josh and Luke are godly men. Husbands and fathers, they love the Lord, they submit to the Lord, they, they lead and they teach well. They are fully qualified to God's, shepherd God's people here at Elm Creek. We are blessed to have them and past elders and future elders to stand in that place for us as a church. And as their fellow elder, my hope and my prayer is that I too am qualified to shepherd as they do. 
as a disciple of Christ, say, okay, I'm not an, you're sitting, I'm not an elder. So what, what does this have to do with me? I don't want to be an elder. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying for me. I want to be an elder. I want to be a pastor. That's what God has called me to. I've got to clarify that. But if you're sitting there saying, well, I'm not an elder. I don't, I don't desire to be an elder. Okay, so what does this have to do with me? Well, as a disciple of Christ, first of all, our prayer should be that we should submit to, love, and trust in, and study, and follow God's word individually. And as a church, we're, we need to strive to be faithful to Scripture, knowing that it's profitable for us as His people. We need to wrestle with God's word, not to find loopholes, but to be faithful to His call for us. And the Bible, like I said, Yes, it, eldership exposes the elders. But honestly, when we read the Bible individually or corporately as a church, the Bible exposes us as his people. It exposes where, where we are, have right understanding of God and wrong understanding of God. It exposes our sin if we have yet to repent of it. It exposes our character as God's people. It has to because God is not in the business of saving us and then letting us be. He saves us and then sanctifies us. He reveals sin. He reveals where we are not meeting His holiness standards physically. We're saved. We are His children, but but in reality, we still struggle with sin every single day. And God says, I'm going to expose this sin. And when we read God's word, when we hear God's word, and we try strive to live it out, our sin, who we are, is exposed. Exposes us for who we are, exposes us for what we think. And, and when we find that we struggle or we disagree with God's word, he uses his word, he uses the preaching of his word, the teaching of his word, he uses fellow believers to sanctify us, to make us more and more holy as He is holy. He uses it to change our way of thinking and living to match His desires for us to accomplish the good works that He has set for us. I have specific memories. Um, okay, so for instance, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I was, I was saved at six years old. And, and now I've told this story before, but I've saved the six years old, the Backyard Bible Club or After School Bible Club. And the verse that was used was Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Amen, right? And then I was in college and I was working at Village Creek Bible Camp and sitting down with some of my fellow staff and, and there was a, a, a girl there who we were talking about this kind of stuff, and I said, oh, like Revelation 3.20, and she goes, that's not a salvation verse, and I could have punched her. Like, what are you saying? I'm not saved? And I said that, and she goes, no, no, no. God uses things like that all the time. Praise his name, right? In our misunderstanding of things, he could still save us. He could still change us. But in that moment, it was like the split second. I was like, whoa, really angry. And then I went, whoa, 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 whoa. If she's right, I need to submit to that. And she said, that verse is to believers. 
that verse is to a believing church who was straying from the truth of God's word and he says, I'm knocking on the door. I am right here to walk with you and guide you. It's not a salvation verse. And when I, we actually went to it and I read it and I went, yeah, she's right. She was right. It's not a salvation verse. But that doesn't make my salvation any less real and true. Praise God that he can use my misunderstanding or the misunderstanding of, of the woman who led me to Christ, you know, 37 years ago. And her misunderstanding and my misunderstanding and still save me. Amen and amen. That's, that's awesome. But as we grow in maturity and as the word of God challenges us or people challenge us and we're exposed and our misunderstandings are exposed that God uses those things to grow us, to mature us, to change us, to match his desires and his truth and not our own. So that's for you individually and but as a church, as far as it pertains to elders, oh man, pray for us. Pray for us, pray for future elders. Pray that as God's stewards that we would shepherd God's people well because in reality, this is not our church. This is God's church. We are but stewards for a short period of time. In, in the reality, I've been here for seven years which I kind of go, man, that's a long time. I mean, it's not, but it is. It's kind of like a long time. And then I go, okay, compared to eternity, is this really my church? Seven years is nothing. It's less than a blink of an eye in eternity. There will come a day when all of us will be dead and gone, and Lord willing, Elm Creek will still exist there will be a different pastor, there will be different elders, there will be different people in the seats. But they are no less God's church than, than we are. This is not our church, this is God's church. And so pray that the elders of Elm Creek today and tomorrow would remember we are but stewards Pray that we will encourage and teach sound doctrine, which brings glory to God and the truth of eternal life through His Son. Pray for wisdom and our correcting and rebuking false doctrine, which leads people away from the message of eternal life. Pray that we will be godly examples in knowing, understanding, and following the truth of God found in His Scripture. Pray that we would not bring shame and dishonor to the name of Jesus Christ. Pray that uh, as your elders, that we would hold firmly to the trustworthy, reliable, and faithful word of God, which through the power of the Holy Spirit saves souls. This is not about us. This is not about Elm Creek. This is about the kingdom of God, which is way bigger than us. May we as elders, may you pray for us as your elders in such a way. Father, I, I ask, 
I ask that you would use these words, Father, as as your people to submit to them, to give us an understanding of them so that we can follow your ways rightly, God. I pray that we would wrestle with it and challenge each other and think through things and debate and go back and forth, but in the end, to strive to not have our own desires rule over us and our understanding, but have your desires to be corrected where need be. And I pray that as a church father, as church elders, that we would be faithful to you. God, that you would raise up future men to lead this church, that the children, Father, that are here, that they would grow into an understanding of you, that you would prepare even elders now to raise up to be an elder at Elm Creek or to be an elder at a different church, but to be an elder in your kingdom to shepherd your people well for your glory, for your goodness, and not for our own, Father, to bring all focus and all praise and honor to you and not to ourselves. Father, we ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our final song?